Orgasmic Enlightenment, where the sexual and spiritual come together. I'm Kimanami, and I'm a holistic sex and relationship coach and a vaginal weightlifter. In this show, we explore all things intimate. I believe that our sexual energy is life force creative energy, and we can use it to shape our worlds, strengthen our relationships, and self-actualize. I blend the most avant-garde information from neuroscience, ancient sexual practices like Tantra and Taoism, to renegade wellness modalities to show you how to create gourmet sex in your lives. Come one, come all. Radical unschooling. So over the next few weeks, I'm going to be doing a series of podcasts and interviews all around the theme of holistic pregnancy and childbirth and even postpartum. And in today's episode on radical unschooling, I am going to be diving into choices that you can make for early childhood education and beyond all the way through. And we have an interview with Dana Martin, who is an expert in unschooling, in radical unschooling. And so she's going to give her perspective on her experiences with her own four children. And she teaches these things and guides people through them as well. So I thought this was especially apropos as in these strange times, we are subject to all kinds of even more unusual ideas and programming and programming grand central really is the school system, the public school system. And when I had my son, I had exposure to some alternative education ideas. I was thinking that I was going to put him into a Waldorf school. And then I instead was introduced to an unschooling school. So unschooling is opposite to a regular public school where they teach you with a very set curriculum, which is brainwashing 101, really start them young and keep them going. Um, Unschooling is about child-centered, child-directed learning. So your child and their interests really dictate how you facilitate their education. And so rather than a set curriculum of predetermined concepts and ideas and brainwashing, you really follow and allow your child to follow their own instinctual guidance of what their interests and their passions are. And as a parent, I was really of the mind that I was there to give a wide berth, B-E-R-T-H, and to facilitate the soul development of this being. And so rather than impose upon him, and oh, look, it, sure, in some ways I did. I'm, I'm a very holistic person, so those kinds of, kinds of ideas definitely were imposed upon him. But in many ways, with the intent to allow the unfolding of this being. And wherever I saw clues to things he was interested in, that I would pursue that and help him to pursue that. And without my ideas of things that he ought to be learning. Although again, there were some because I want to raise a free thinker and he is a free thinker. He's 25 now. So I'm speaking more like from past experience, but so definitely there were ways that I would educate him in things like that, but ultimately want him to be able to choose. So the kind of education that he had was about child-directed curriculum. And 
that's what I believe creates creative individuals and allows them to think for themselves, to be autonomous, to be able to follow their own innate guidance. So rather than having external ideas imposed upon them about who they are and who they should be, they're really finding this from within and they find the motivation for the things that they do from within. And so right now, I know a lot of people who are pulling their children out of the public school system and even people who had children in alternative schools such as Waldorf are also pulling their kids and deciding now to homeschool them or unschool them. (laughs) And because they are now going to be subject to certain measures that enforce a very, you've heard my other podcast episodes on the truth virus and I've gone viral and the new normal, a new paradigm that many of us are choosing to opt out of and have opted out of, perhaps I would say for my entire adult life. And for those of you who have young children, this is information for you to consider in terms of those decisions. If you're feeling lost or unsure or you know open to new possibilities of how your child might receive an even better, more tailored, custom, bring out their own innate genius kind of education, then this is for you. Today, we have with us Dana Martin. She is the author of Radical Unschooling and Raising Rebels. She is an author, a speaker, and an educator. She travels all over the world teaching people how to radically unschool their children. And she has been featured on The Dr. Phil Show, CNN, Nightline, 60 Minutes, The Discovery Channel, and The Today Show. Welcome, Dana. It's wonderful to have you here. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right. So let's kick it off with a definition of what is unschooling. And then as you talk about it, I'd like you to also key into these quotes from John Taylor Gatto as are these really the basis of unschooling. So when you take the free will out of education, it becomes schooling. And then this one, the truth is that schools don't really teach anything except how to obey orders. Oh yeah, John Taylor Gatto was such an inspiration to me for the last 20 years. And um, yeah, those quotes are quite true. And I think that John had a wonderful way of conveying uh, in a really basic way that many of us could feel you know, relieved to hear his words because many of us felt this growing up. Yeah. And we didn't have anyone to support us. And that's what I got from John Taylor Gatto early on in my career was just that, that comfort and that validation that you were right the whole time. Yes, your instinct was right. <laughs> you being an obedient uh, individual is the goal. So unschooling, yes, unschooling is, it's been such a journey for me in 20 years and um, unschooling is a form of homeschooling. I'm sure a lot of people have maybe heard the term now that everything's happened with COVID and we're just hearing about homeschooling in general. Unschooling is the idea that uh, schools with their, the institutionalized aspect of schools with forced learning are really damaging. And so some people hear the term unschooling and they think uneducating or, you know, being neglectful and not doing anything. I think that's what most people think it is, but what it is, is not doing school. It's not not learning and it's not unparenting. It's not forcing your child to learn things against their will 
following a curriculum that every other person the same age should follow according to the you know to that belief system and to me it's unbrainwashing yourself of seeing things through the lenses of school so that's basically it in a nutshell Right. Because I mean, I remember growing up and loving learning, right. But starting to realize I didn't like school and that there was a difference for me. I was passionate about learning and you know, throwing myself into things, but I really didn't like the format of school and grew to like it less and less. And so most people are aware of alternative options such as homeschooling or Montessori or Waldorf education, which all have some great merits, but unschooling is a very different philosophy, even from homeschooling, which people typically associate it with. So can you describe your journey to radical unschooling, which is what you've called it? And did you ever have an example of anything like this growing up? Or you've mentioned John Taylor Gatto, sounds like he was an inspiration for you. And, you know, what kind of tweaked you to go out into that direction. So it sounds like you probably had some, like me, some internal nudges that things weren't maybe the best in the current education system and there could be other options. And then which of your children did you start this lifestyle with? Okay. I love chatting about this and it's funny, I never get sick of it. I've been uh, educating other people about unschooling for almost 20 years now. and. There's never a time where I um, get tired of sharing about freedom for children. So I'll start off by sharing. I have four kids. I have two boys and two girls. I have a son, Devin, who's 21. He's actually getting married next week. Whoa. To an yes, I know. My first child. I can't believe it. Um, he started everything for me, basically. But he's getting married to an unschooled girl whose mother found me many, many years ago when she was in third grade and she was having a very hard time in school and she found me online and I supported her and she took her daughter out of school and came to know unschooling. And so it's this really sweet story of the two of them meeting at a conference that I organized and becoming friends and falling in love. And they've been together ever since. So beautiful. Um, love it. Yeah, my son, Devin, I have a daughter, Tiffany. Her real name is Dakota, but she prefers to be called Tiffany and she's going to wait to legally change it. Um, uh, she's 18 and she's an aspiring model and performer and, and singer and um, she has a YouTube channel so like kind of all the influencer stuff she's an influencer like a professional one which is mind-blowing to me because I I knew nothing about it until she started really getting into it I have a daughter Ivy who's 15 she runs an animal rescue and she's a, a totally into death metal and heavy metal which is so wonderful for me because I am too I always was and um, so she and I go to concerts together and then I have a son, Orion, who's 12. So um, I never imagined living a life like this. I never imagined who I would be as a parent, actually. I just knew that I wanted to give my children the things I didn't have. And I wanted to do better than the generations before me. So when my son, Devin, was born, I had him in a hospital. And I had a midwife, which is really radical, 20 years, 21 years, 22 years ago. Wow, I just can't even believe it's been 20 years. Um, and uh, it was a wonderful experience. You know, I had a natural birth, which I didn't even know I was capable of. But once I went through that, I realized that there's a, there's so much that I needed to tell women about birth, because all I had heard was fear-based mm -hmm. things that women compete with each other based on how much they suffered. That's right. all I heard. My labor was 18 hours, or my, and it was this competition right. of suffering. And I nobody nobody tried to make me feel like 
ready for it in a good way. It was just all, what, when are you going to get your epidural? And I just knew I wanted to do something different. I know, isn't that crazy? Um, yeah. The, so, I call it the normalization one, of dysfunction, right? Like people, mm, these things just become way. so... Uh, we become so numbed to these things that we start, it's like kind of a Stockholm syndrome, right? That it's like, oh, yeah. now people begging to have these things done to them that are really quite horrific. Yes. Yeah. Mm, I never heard it put that way, but that is so beautiful and so true. Yeah. Well, when I had Devin, he was put in my arms the first time and I couldn't believe I did it. I actually have like mm -hmm. an audio recording. That's a really bad recording. And all I kept saying was I did it. I did it. I can't oh. believe I did it over and over wow. and the way his like warm wet head felt on my arm when I close my eyes and I think hard enough I can still feel it like that's how much of an amazing experience it was for me however you know uh, probably maybe an hour or two after he was born I was nursing him for the first time and the nurses were kind of yelling in the hallway and just they ran into my room because there was nobody else in the birthing center and the tv was in my room and they turned it on <clears throat> and the Columbine shootings were happening live, which I'll tell you, you know, we're kind of used to hearing about school shootings now, aren't we? But back then, you know, 21 years hey. ago, it, it was the first, it was the first. And I remember like, I couldn't believe it for one that they put it on in my room, but I, I couldn't yeah. look away. You know, everybody was gathered and um, I'm holding my baby and I'm seeing no consciousness oh, jumping out of windows. Well, no. no consciousness at all that you've just had a baby. Oh. You're in this delicate, bonding, maternal infant space, oxytocin flooded, and they're going to come in and bombard you with the most horrific violence imaginable. Like, it was what crazy. kind of level of consciousness is that? You know. Yes. Yes. And at the time, you know, I was such in such a relief state. That I had done it. Yeah. The placenta was delivered and I was breastfeeding and it was just like finally, finally resting, you know. And so, but it was like this a national emergency, you know, it was a really big deal when it happened. And people, I could hear people, oh my God, what's going on? And so for some reason, this was all meant to be in some way for my purpose. You know, just the way everything lined up when I look back, I remember thinking to myself for the very first time, how many of those parents that are there and the, you know, looking up at their children in that school crying, like how many of those parents would have rather their children be home that day, but didn't know they could keep them home, didn't know that there were options. And, you know, how many of those kids would have rather been doing what they wanted with their time, you know? And so I started thinking about how unjust it was that parents and children are separated when they want to be together and how the institution of school puts their needs before the family. That you have to ask permission to have your child out of school. That is not freedom. I mean, when you have a child in school, if you have to call somebody and say, may I have my child, mm. you know, we're going on vacation. Wow, people don't realize how unfree they are in that dynamic. So mm. it just really got me thinking. And I thought to myself, um, my children will always have the choice to choose school or not. So it wasn't like, oh my gosh, I'm petrified. I'm never sending my child. It was more of a, about children's rights. I hadn't really thought about it in such a way so powerfully before. And so it all began there for me, everything. It was just like the cosmos opened or there was just this amazing thing that happened within me. And I just knew like, this is my purpose. Like I'm meant to help people see that children uh, should have rights with how they spend their time and parents shouldn't be afraid to spend time with their kids. So. Yes, that's where the journey began. 
And so with your first child, did you just start out with not sending him to school? Um, great question. So when he was maybe seven months old, well, let me just rewind a little bit. Um, and there's so many stories I want to share with you, Kim, so many, and having to pick the ones just to get it into one interview. I think I'm going to fly out to you and we can just have a girl's night and I could, we could chat for hours, but yeah. for the sake of the interview length. Um, so when I brought Devin home from the hospital, um, I remember walking in the house and my mother-in-law was there and she pointed to a bassinet and she said, make sure you put him in that and don't hold him too much because he oh. will expect it. He'll expect oh. it. And I remember, th- I know, and I, and I remember going, okay, you know, I was, I was still a people pleaser. You know, I hadn't morphed yet into this strong, powerful, fiercely protective mother and being that I am now at the time, I was so desperate to be accepted and loved because I was so conditioned to only love myself when others say, you know, would love me or approve of me. So I remember going, okay, okay, thank you. Yeah, okay, good to know. And she left and I remember looking at my son and just kind of putting him in it and, and then just kind of walking away, sitting on the couch. And I'm on the couch, postpartum, breasts leaking with milk and my son's all the way across the room. And I, I remember seeing him going, what the fuck is that? What, what the hell? Why would, and I just like got up and I took him, I'm like, how does that make sense? Like, why would anybody think this little cute being was going to take advantage or, and, you know, don't love him too much because he'll expect it. That's when another like shift took place that, wow, like, I do not think like most people, something I cannot even get close to agreeing with that. And that's when a lot of trouble began for me as far as uh, with my you know, ex-husband's family. They, they really were upset that I didn't follow their advice and this terrible experience happened. However, um, them pushing me out because of my choices. If it wasn't for that, I don't know, you know if I'd be where I am today because I had to grow confidence and self-love. And I chose my son first over being loved and accepted. And that was a first for me. And I realized I didn't die when I did it, you know, uh, so afraid for so long. And um, so then my research began. And my let, son me just never stop. A- let me just stop for a second because yeah. I want to acknowledge that like that is so powerful and I think that is such the difference between what you're saying and the average person who gets sucked into that dynamic of people pleasing and just not ruffling the water oh it's easier to just do that like I've heard people talk about major life decisions with their children where they just kind of forfeited that to not create conflict right so the fact that you were and I also think that your connection to your son and having a natural birth where that mm-hmm. bonding process and I know as a natural um, doula you would agree with this I'm sure um that this is like that connection that's forged is so integral going forward to having that bond having that desire innately to know what's right for us and our children and to protect them right where I think that so much of the industrialized hospital birth setting interrupts that and you know some might even say by design right but to have a natural birth keeps all of that intact and so for you to just have that knowing right? No, this is what is actually right. This is actually wrong. And to very clearly reject it, I think is even a process and the gift of having a natural birth experience that where the woman becomes reborn. And within that journey of giving birth, she then, the part of that reward and that gift is strengthening her own innate knowing, right? Like how do we know how to parent? Well, it's an instinct. A lot of parenting, if we can tune into that natural flow and instinct, it's there but most people have that cut off. 
Yes, oh, I'm so glad that I'm on your show with you right now because it's so rare that I meet somebody that that really just gets it. And it feels so good, doesn't it, when you're surrounded by other women who understand and they agree because our, our society is, is such in a fear-based place right now, especially. Um, and people don't know whether to fear the hospital right now, may, you know, mainstream thinkers, or to fear home birth, or to fear, they, nobody knows what to fear. There's just fear everywhere. But yeah, I, I agree. You know, I do think that it's designed that way. I don't think that nurses necessarily, there's well-intentioned nurses and doctors, I understand that love their jobs. And I, I don't think it's this uh, evil as far as nurses are concerned. I don't think it's really made aware so much, but it is designed that mothers and babies are, are separated. And when you, what happens is if it all starts with birth, I mean, you give birth in a hospital, you're, you're choosing to have a medicalized birth. If you want a natural birth, you would never birth in a hospital, you know, but people don't really understand it because they now they put these signs in the hospital room saying a birthing center, they put quilts on the bed and they try to make it seem like it's this birthing center and they're naturally minded, but truly it's a business and they want money mm-hmm. and they will do what's convenient. They will do so things so they don't get sued, you know, liability, the mother and baby are never put first. And so when a woman isn't able to have a natural birth, birth the way nature intended, um, she loses the ability to trust herself. You know, for example, oh, your baby's too big. You know, you've been pushing for two hours. You know, it's just not going to work. Your pelvis is too small. Your body's broken, essentially. And we need to save you. The body didn't do it right. And um, so it starts there. You know, the, the woman's rescued from an expert and then says, thank you. I couldn't have done it without you. Oh, my goodness. Tell me what to do next. Right. And, but, you know, it's yeah. really like that. And, and it's like goosebumpy when you think about it, because um, I, I always want to be with, if I could be with every woman on this planet, you know, that's in these kinds of societies, I would love to be, to be able to help support them, because it's in these moments that the entire trajectory of your entire life and your child's entire life begins. And how a baby comes into this world, if a mother is trusted and believed, you know, I, I've been with, with women who have pushed for three, four, five hours even. And that's all within the range of normal. But you're, if you're in a hospital and you push for more than two hours, there is a pushing time limit. Mm-hmm. You will not be allowed to push longer. And they're not going to tell you your time is up. They're going to tell you your pelvis is too small. you know. And if you don't have a doula or somebody there with you, you, you think that you failed. My body doesn't mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. And I can't breastfeed either, I'm sure. you know. And, and so then you're turning to experts and other people with every aspect of your child's life, healthcare, um, school, you think I can't, I couldn't even birth my baby, never mind educating him. You know, it's just, it's your whole life that goes down that path. So um, I know people say all the time, oh, what's so great about a natural birth? Um, it's everything. not just about <laughs> everything. It's not just about this wonderful experience that it is. It, it's about your entire life course it is kind of set in, you know, set in then. So yeah, I agree. Yeah. And yeah, great to hear it uh, further reinforced because that's why I wanted to touch on that as even being connected to this path of, you know, being able yeah. to self-educate and choose a different way of bringing knowledge and innate wisdom to our children. So let's like direct it back to the whole unschooling idea. So when people, I would say the average perspective on that might be viewing unschooling and the lifestyle of it as being lazy or that you just let your kids run around all day and you have no control. 
However, I would say that it's fair to say that modern parenting is actually much more lazy and unconscious, largely by design because adults are so tapped out. So what you're talking about with the unschooling path requires a ton of engagement and energy and emotional intelligence to understand your child's behavior and nurture their interests. So can you help to reframe how the unschooling lifestyle isn't just lazy parenting and how the success and the prosperity of the child is actually at the center of all of it. Yeah, certainly. Um, I'll first just differentiate between unschooling and radical unschooling for some people. So unschooling, the, the term that most people know, is a whole life philosophy. Unschooling is, is trusting your child with uh, their education. So it's this level of trust and freedom in, in education in your child's life. Um, and facilitating your child's interest based on what they love and bringing resources into their lives to learn and grow from. The learning and educational side of unschooling, I think most people really can get around, get behind, you know, it's, schools are kind of caveman learning now with all that's available. And um, people are very, really up on that. However, radical unschooling um, is extending that trust that, you're, that you have for your child's learning into every area of their life. So now this is where parents are like, Whoa, what are you talking about? But stay with me. So um, <laughs> it's trusting your child with um, the, their innate ability to want to do what's best for themselves, uh, their ability and their desire and their birthright of freedom, you know, is really important. And also trusting your child and being a guide in their life and a leader and a supporter and you know whatever role that you're you're leading but you're not coming at it from the traditional authoritarian paradigm so 99% of parenting books on the market and information from experts that, that are given is all based on uh, behavior modification and the parents need solely the parents needs for quiet uninterrupted sleep and obedience obedience and compliance is the goal of parenting uh, you know advice it is. I mean, if you see it, some of the nanny shows, I mean, yeah. Did you want to comment? Well, just on when that? you said you those words, it? yeah, obedience and compliance, it just makes me think of that this is internalized messaging, right? That fits a whole culture where you're trying to create good obedient worker bees right and so for parents yeah. to internalize those ideas that oh no the real goal with parenting is to establish my dominance and to show them who's boss and like the same kind of imprinting that you mentioned with your mother-in-law of like no you can't love them too much or you'll spoil them there's mm -hmm. no way that you could you know acknowledge them that way so it just you know occurred to me as you said those words that it's part of this whole paradigm of creating that power dynamic right as like mm -hmm. adults you must listen children you must listen to me my word is law yes yes exactly and and parents are trained to change to train their children parents yeah. are trained to train their children and so if you were on a deserted island with your child and you gave birth you would never parent the way people do or they're told to in our culture, you would do exactly what we're promoting. I mean, which is just listening and honoring your child. Um, so the, the difference is the authoritarian paradigm is where the, the power rules and your only job is to train your child like a dog to take orders. Yes, parents love their kids and many of them don't wanna be doing that, but they don't know how, you know, what to do instead. And their lives are really miserable. I mean, if you're controlling another human being all day, every day, it's, it's not a fun existence. 
because it's not natural and it's not um, what you're supposed to be doing by, you know, by nature. So it's a really painful, miserable existence. And when a parent is told to control their child and focus on behavior modification, it's never taking care of the child's need at all. It's just the parent's need. It's extremely narcissistic to parent like that. It is. And people are saying like, what's happening to our society is narcissism everywhere. Well, you're modeling narcissism by forcing a child to meet your needs by only caring that he does what you say, never looking at him as a human being and giving him that same respect that he deserves. So a partnership-based paradigm, which is what I'm sharing and suggesting and educating people about, is about focusing on the needs of everybody in the family equally, the needs of the parent and the needs of the child. The child's needs are just as important. And as funny as it sounds, like people are so, so kind of awakened and, and moved by that. But when you really think about it, it's, it's crazy that that would be so groundbreaking and new and radical to care about a child's needs. But when you really break it down and you explain it to people. So I don't focus on my children's behavior. That's not how I did things. However, when I would see whatever, you know, I would focus on the needs under the behavior because behavior is just, you know, it changes. It evolves from, you know, a baby, a toddler, all the way up through the younger years into being a teen, an adult. And, um, when you focus on a child's needs under the behavior, the behavior changes. Now that's not the goal of it, but it's a side effect of respect. Most of the time behavior is just behavior uh, in a child just gets worse and worse and worse because for one, punishments don't work. And for two, it's excruciatingly frustrating to wanna to have your needs met and having somebody only focus on how you're asking. So I'll give you an example. Have you ever been in a situation, Kim, where you know, you, you were trying to explain something, but you were really upset about something. And you're just like, oh my God, I can't believe this has happened. Oh my God. Like I can't even. And, um, you know, what if your best friend said, Kim, I don't like how you're saying this now. Start off. No, no, you go until you can talk to me politely. No, no, I don't want to hear it. No, you get over there. I mean, like, think about how disrespectful that is to another human being. And the whole time you're going, why do you care about how I'm saying it? I can't help it. I'm upset. I'm a human, I have emotion, like, but kids can't articulate any of that. And they, they suffer so much in the space of nobody caring at all why they're upset. And instead, they're just not obeying. And so then you see all these side effects come of stuttering and nail biting. And oh my goodness, the many things that plague our society, I really do feel like it's really damaging, you know, to not, not focus on that. So yeah. So is this so like in the context of radical unschooling is really listening to our children and giving them space to express themselves without trying to even limit how they express themselves or direct that. And I think I've heard you talk about this before. It's like imagine if you t yes, like you talk to your adult friends that way. You would never talk to your adult friends like that. And uh -huh. so if we apply that to how we speak to our children, how would that look different? And the only reason it looks different is we're told that we're instructed that this is how we need to kind of corral or shape children in a certain way so which i really appreciate you talking about that so in the in the realm of okay like back into the whole unschooling dynamic or educating kids dynamic so mm -hmm. my understanding of non-coercive education and unschooling is that you 
watch for what the children are interested in and you try to really nurture that right so if a child is really interested in plants and gardening like you really do as much as you can to facilitate those things and create space and support those choices as much as possible so how does that like if you were to say unschooling with your like five-year-old versus unschooling with your 15 year old and does that resemble in any way what people think of as any kind of structure you know when people ask well how do your kids learn to read like how does that if you were to kind of explain to people like how do your kids learn and what is a typical unschooling day which I'm sure you'll say is just any day of your life right there's no real division between unschooling and our lives but to try to help people make that that bridge and understanding it you know say five-year-old's day 15-year-old's day and then how do they learn things that we would deem as being at least somewhat essential right some people would think like the ability to read or say basic basic math skills where I'm sure a lot of people would argue that algebra isn't really an essential life skill but you know so be it so how would you frame all of that stuff Okay. Um, well, reading and writing and math are all tools to help us get what we want in life, right? I mean, that's all they are. They're tools to help us figure things out and get what we more of what we want and accomplish our goals. And what human being wouldn't want to learn these tools unless they were forced? You know, when these things are forced and coerced, no matter how gently, a child is very difficult to learn uh, because there's no context. You know, and the whole idea of learning as you go, when you need the, the tool, as my children have needed the tools, they've learned them so like easily and pick them up. So it's, I mean, I live life like that all the time. I think most of us do is that, um, you know, as you need to learn something, you figure it out. And so the, that's the whole idea actually of unschooling is, is supporting that. And when a human being has the desire for their own life's path to learn certain things, they learn it and they learn it easily and there's no damage to the relationship with force and coercion. So um, a typical day would look so different in everybody's home, like different people's okay. homes. It depends on the child, you know, it's so, it's so hard to say. Uh, my daughter Ivy, so my, it's funny because uh, two out of my four kids are very, they were always really like kind of, they loved book learning kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So I think they always really impress people. But then my other two kids who are more techie, you know, my son Orion, who's, he loves gaming, he's a gamer and, um, my daughter Tiffany, who's, you know, does videos, YouTube, Instagram, you know, that's not so impressive to people. However, I'll tell you, out of all four of my kids, they're all learning just as much as one another, but it's perfectly catered to who they are as an individual. And the ones that are learning in more of a book fashion, although most people really value that much more than technology, uh, they're all um, doing well. And my, my son, Devin, um, yeah, so let me rewind a little bit because, you know, different ages do different things based on what they love. So when my son Devin was like five, I can remember, he was like, for example, he was really into Legos for a while. And whatever my kids are interested in at the time, it's the nucleus of their learning. That's how I look at it. The nucleus of their learning will, will branch off and, and outward based on this one passion or interest. And so we don't break life down to subjects. That's one aspect of unschooling that the whole idea of subjects is, is school think, you know, it's, it's conditioned ideas of only valuing these certain things in life because schools say, this is what you really need to know. And you don't need to know any of the other millions of things that are important. <laughs> um, so we never broke life down to the subjects. However, 
if I was to, just for the sake of explaining to everybody. So um, children learn when they're internally motivated. And when they're interested in something and they're passionate about it, that internal motivation is just there. It's just so always going. And so I facilitated Devin's learning based on his interest in Legos by subscribing to Lego magazine for him because I knew he was interested, he loves them. I knew he'd want to flip through the pages and I got him books about Legos. Um, we did different you know, websites. I think it was before Roblox. Roblox is like a big deal in Minecraft, but it was before then. Uh, he played computer games based on Lego. Uh, we baked a cake that was shaped like Legos <laughs> and he used math. You know, so, you know, the magazines, the books were, you know, English and math would be the cake making or we went to see exhibits and we saw true human potential, which is so, so important to me as a mother. I want my kids to see true human potential in every aspect of humanity. And so to see this enormous Lego exhibit or we went to Orlando and Disney and they had the Lego exhibits in downtown Disney, which were the most awe-inspiring things I've ever seen. Like I didn't even know a human could do that. So I want my kids to see true human potential in every form. So yeah, this is an idea. He learned so much based on this one, you know, interest of Legos right. at this time in his life. Right. So much learning happened because I used it and I facilitated with all different, you know, avenues. So that's one way to describe how it's done. So rather than like, and again, to try to explain this to people who might be so unfamiliar with these ideas, like rather than sitting down to learn math and learn reading. So let's say he's doing Lego, right? So his, you know, he's got this passion about Lego. The Lego kit comes with instructions, right? And if uh, maybe mm -hmm. he can do the kit without the instructions, but if he needs to do the, use the instructions, he's going to have to learn to read. So right there yeah. is the intrinsic motivation for learning to read because he won't be able to build the lego set let's say you know if he had to use them mm -hmm. right and so my understanding of unschooling is that then like you're saying this core interest like say with your son was lego then will allow and facilitate the learning of all the other things that are necessity and so to get to where they want to go by their own internal motivation rather than sitting them down and working on something that is then segregated from all other ap applications in life yes. this is a way to motivate yeah. people and with the my son went to an he went to a school, but it was a very, very unschooling school. And so all the learning was child directed. And so they have these great stories of how like one of the two, the students um, was maybe age 10 and wanted to be in the school play. You know, a bunch of the kids wrote their own script and were putting on their own play and she wanted to be in it, but she didn't know how to read. So overnight she taught herself to read so she could learn the script to be in the play. Right. Like she, so the things, even yeah. the time that people say, oh, you need this many years of math or this many years to learn how to do this is also completely invented and arbitrary and, and, and really dumbs people down. Like John Taylor Gatto talked about mm -hmm. that a lot, that school more than bringing out somebody's innate intelligence is actually dumbing people down. And so these stories yes. of, you know, very high speed learning, especially when intrinsic motivated is more the truth of how children learn and grow rather than again these more you know oh it takes you have to be up until age 12 until you really learn how to I don't know algebra or something and again like the one of the teachers at this school he went to could teach everything up to you know sort of grade 
grade, whatever, age 12 math within like 20 hours, you know, if they wanted it, if they wanted to get there. And so all of, and I think this is a huge mental thing for people to wrap their heads around. It's a bit like the idea of childbirth, right? For people who are so fearful that if they don't have a birth in the hospital, all of these things will go wrong. And I think the same parallel would apply for most people with school. If you don't go to a typical public school and learn things in the way that you're being told, there's really no other way, right? And it would be dangerous and scary and and, all the consequences where the, the truth though, is that stepping out of those systems are so completely actually closer to how we as humans can amplify our true superpowers beautiful yes and i think that most people haven't seen natural learning so it's so foreign to them that they get worried you know we're conditioned to believe that children should have this extreme variety throughout the day of all these different like subjects or things to do and they have an hour of this and an hour of this and an hour of this and you know they get so frustrated when they're their children want to just do one thing all day or for days or weeks or even months. They, they think that something's wrong with that because um, they're not used to seeing how normal and how wonderful that is. Humans learn in big chunks of time. You know, think of the things that you have loved learning, Cam, over the course of your lifetime. And if you're anything like me, when I'm into something new that I've just learned about, that's all I want to do. So I do my responsibilities, but then any spare time, I, I would be uncomfortable sitting on the floor for hours and hours just to learn about it. And um, I think we need to bring people back to the realization that this is how human beings learn. So a lot of what I do, like with parenting coaching, is, is parents being nervous about these kind of things. Oh, my child has only wanted to do this for days and weeks. When will they just start picking up all these different things? And I'm like, well, you know, it's, it's not really like that. It's honoring their passion. This is how children master things. This is how humans master things is having this incredible focus on what they're loving in the moment. You know, we all have different purposes and that ebbs and flows throughout our lifetime. And we were not all brought, you know, here or whatever uh, to, to learn the same things in life. We're not all meant to. So trusting your child, even if they want to do one thing, like playing Minecraft all day, every day. Now, I know a lot of people might hear that and get nervous, but I can elaborate more of what that can lead to. Like what? What could that lead to? Because I'm sure that is something that people are like, oh, like video yeah, games. Oh, what a waste of time. I know. It helps, I think, to share first that, you know, technology, the internet, gaming, I mean, it's all really new historically, like in the history of mankind, it is. And goodness sake, TVs are less than 100 years old, for example, and, and radios before that and comic books before that. So Back before there were anything but books, parents were told to limit their children's reading for an hour a day. That it will hurt their eyes, it will like, uh, you know, damage their mind to spend any more time reading, especially things that weren't godly, you know, anything outside of that range. And parents were afraid. They were told that their child would be severely damaged. You, You limit it. There's text I've seen written about this. It's incredible. And as well, the next stage of the growth of humanity and technology was were radio, radio shows. My grandmother used to tell me stories about them, but they did say, and my grandmother even told me she was not allowed to listen for more than an hour a day, half an hour, actually. I remember saying half an hour a day. No, everybody was, hey, that was your one listening. Now you have to go. It's going to melt your brain, you know, or whatever. Then TV came. 
And, um, you know, things have, have shifted a lot, I think, thankfully, with different devices where you don't have to watch commercials. But um, when the commercials and ads came on, you know, for a long period of time, a lot of parents had a really hard time with that. And at the time, I would use that as a tool to educate my child. Like, do you really think that would work if we bought that? And, and you know, teaching them critical thinking. But the same is true right now. And it's at its absolute peak in humanity of this, the fear of screen time. And I don't like calling it screen time. I think it's really disrespectful to what your children are choosing to do with their time. It's the same thing as calling if they were reading a book or if you were reading a book, it's paper time. You wouldn't even be honoring the, what the content was or, or what you liked about it. No, it's just paper time. Was my child too much paper time? It's just really vague and disrespectful. So mm -hmm. I know that people don't mean that, but, but words, uh, we need to come away from like disrespectful language of kind of just saying anything they're doing is that because there's so much more that our children use these tools for. And so, yeah, it's, there, there's, there's such a, a shift happening and I want to help people understand that it's not the technology that's damaging. It's the control surrounding the technology that's damaging to the relationship and to the child. So you think left to their own devices that the ch child will find their own balance, meaning if they're on a screen for too long, that perhaps they'll get internal messaging that says, all right, I need to go outside and play in the bush because I need to balance out that that would be an innate message. Cause I think the fear would be that they would kind of get sucked in almost in an, in an addictive way, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that the intention of use is an important thing to look at, too. You know, there's two people can be doing the same thing, but the intention of the use and what it's being used for is very different with different outcomes. You know, the example of um, somebody gave the comparison to me once, uh, the analogy of like, you know, a knife in the hands of a chef, it's being used for one thing and in the hands of a, a dangerous serial killer or whatever, it's being used for something else, but it's not <laughs> about the knife. I know it's funny but um it's not about the knife it's about the intention of use and technology is much the same you know i remember when i was a little girl i loved the show brady bunch um for some reason i loved i it. loved it did you yeah, yeah i, did. I, I loved, loved it, it. yeah and i read but i remember it's interesting because i remember the feeling of coming home from school throwing my book bag down throwing the tv on and just laying down and going finally i can do something i want to do Man, did that serve as a wonderful decompression for me? You know, um, I probably would have watched it a lot more if we had some recording device. But between three and four, that was it. That's all you got. But yeah, you know, I remember using it for decompression. I didn't really use technology for learning back then because it wasn't like that. But it's different for our kids. You know, there, there's so many amazing forms of learning, and I think I love that parents are doing their research. Um, and I think your audience. I'm sure are very evolved and educated about a lot to do with parenting and birth and all of these things. But I encourage you, you've done probably plenty of research on the dangers of screen time and these other things. And I really invite you to give yourself true informed consent by the, now doing Google searches and reading and researching and uh, books about the benefits of, because fear is like a really um, damaging motivator when it comes to parenting. So I like to help parents step away from fear because if you're afraid, whenever we're afraid guys, we wanna control, we wanna control. And so it's just a natural impulse, but control warps the relationship that your child has with whatever's being controlled. 
it does any human it does so what happens when we tell our children that you can only be on an hour a day for example and they're especially kids born you know right now in this day and age aware so many of of what freedom means and what injustice is they feel it stronger than we ever did and um so when we're telling them that they don't have free will their desire for free will and freedom will override their desire like the the true intention of what they're using it for and so then it becomes this thing represents mm, freedom right. and they are going to do nothing but that to right. feel free so then it's like this warped relationship then a child just wants to do nothing but that but it's not even about the, what's caused this unnatural relationship is the control and the fear and the limiting but it's this awful self-fulfilled prophecy that happens because parents then get upset with their children and they blame the technology instead of seeing it's them, you know, the control right. and the fear. Right. It's, it's a hard thing to wake people up to, but once you see it, I mean, you can be more free to see the damage that control does. There is no damage that technology could do that is more, that is anywhere near as close to the damage that you cause to your relationship with your child in a fearful place, controlling, forbidding, not listening to them and getting all upset. That's way, way more damaging than what technology could do. So it's sometimes um, a lot for people to really understand. And if you don't agree with me and you have different beliefs, if somebody's watching, that's okay. Um, I honor wherever you are in this journey because I know everybody has different values and desires and some families don't want a TV and they don't want this and that's okay. You know, but I'm saying if this is something part of your life and your child desires this, how to have more peace and balance is to give freedom and to be involved and to talk about your feelings about it. You know, if your child's been on a long time and you're feeling nervous and stressed about it, instead of letting the fear make you angry and saying, you got one more, one more hour, or, you know, 10 more minutes and then you're off. Letting your child know, like, I'm feeling like you've been on for like four hours and I'm starting to stress a little bit. I'm starting to worry. How do you feel? <laughs> Are your eyes okay? Like move your legs, sweetie. I want to go outside for a walk and stretch. You know, I know if I'm sitting here for a long time and on, like my body starts to hurt. And, um, you know, I showed my son Orion a, a documentary about sitting, the dangers of sitting too long, but not mm. in a fear-based place. He, he, I, he wanted to know because we talked about it. Yeah. And it was about offices and how long people sit in offices and how that is damaging their circulation and stuff and, and what people are doing about it. They have the standing desks, the walking desks. There's so many wonderful alternatives. And introducing that to him was really powerful. He said, oh, wow, like I didn't know that happened, you know, when you sat for so long. So children want to do what's healthy for themselves. They do, and what's best for themselves. They don't want to be getting themselves out of balance. It's just when their freedom is on the line, I mean, they're going to do things they normally wouldn't all for the sake of being free. So when I was asking you about, say, the 15-year-old and their unschooling day, which like I said, I'm sure is just a regular day, but is that they're just out pursuing their own interests and doing, you know, they've structured their day in the way that they want to. Yeah. And every 15 year old's different. You know, it's funny. My, um, my daughter Ivy is 15 and she wants to be a veterinarian. Like she's wanted to do this for probably almost a year now. And she never did a workbook page in her life, never cracked open, a, you know, any kind of workbook, never curriculum, never anything schooly. But she's always loved, always loved learning. And one thing you said earlier is that when children want to learn something like with a Sudbury model, um, 
you know, they learn it easily because it's time and their brains are fully ready. I've heard that same study about 17 year olds and learning an entire you know, school career of math in a matter of two months. And it's funny because um, it's very true. Like my daughter, Ivy, like she told me, now I don't want anyone to compare. Like, I'm not saying like, here is the wonderful product of unschooling because Ivy is just really academic. She loves uh, learning. She takes classes online constantly. She tells everybody in the house, I'm studying for four hours. I don't want anyone to bug me until, you know, this time. And everybody respects it, but she signed herself up for college courses. Um, she she has, she just told me, you know, she's like, well, I signed up for a couple of college courses. Um, and just so you know, I need some time. Like, you did? Do, do, do you need help? Like, it was just so funny. Like, I'll never forget it. I'm like, you did? She's like, yeah, yeah. I'm actually at Harvard Extension Court. I'm like, what? what? Do, you, do you need me to do anything to help you with that? You know, it was just this phrase. She's like, no, no, I got it. I'll let you know. And But I did. We, we got all kinds of you know, stuff for her for these classes. But my point in saying that is it's her internal motivation. She really wants to be a veterinarian. She runs a small animal rescue. I mean, this is her passion. Mm -hmm. So kids, they, they joyfully and willingly find out what needs to be done to get them there. And they take full responsibility of it and do it. And it's true. They truly, truly do. And, um, you know, instead of forcing a child for 12 years, to do a curriculum and do all these things, even at home, you know, all these things that they think they should be doing and learning. Um, and you're doing it against their will. They, people just get, you know, kids get a real distaste for learning. It's not learning that they don't like, it's forced learning, but they, it's hard to differentiate. And right. they kind of, yeah. Children learn when they're internally motivated with their own life's purpose. And it's your job to facilitate it the best you can and offer more that you can. And every child's different. So, that's just an example. Um, you know, one thing we're running into, though, which is really interesting, is none of these. Uh, so there's a number of series of steps to become a veterinarian. The first one is to become like a vet tech. They will not let her take any college courses at that level until she's 17 and she's only 15. You know, so it's like, what do we do for this? Is the ageism, you know, is kind of right. a thing. She's ready. She's more motivated than probably most 17 year olds ready to do yeah. it. So I'm in the process going, OK, like, how can I help her with this? Because, yeah. I don't think Ivy might be one of the only ones right you know, right now that are in the zone, but there's going to be hundreds, if not thousands of 15 year olds eventually wanting to do these kind of things and they're not being held back. They're not being dumbed down. So yes, times are changing. Yeah. It's, it's pretty exciting. Um, my daughter, Tiffany has never been into anything like particularly academic, but I facilitate her learning and take it just as seriously with what she wants to do with her time as I do Ivy's. I don't value Ivy doing these wonderful college courses, you know, on chemistry and biology any more than my daughter, Tiffany, who is exploring and reaching out um, for opportunities that she has here in Miami for modeling and, and, you know, growing her influencer, you know, job and what she's doing with her Instagram. And she's, she's loves her career <clears throat> and she makes really good money on it. And she's so happy and fulfilled. So I want to honor that her here just as much as I do Ivy saying I, I I love her I want my kids to be happy I don't have any attachment as to me feeling like a good mom you know according to what my kids do my kids no that's I honor them I feel like a good mom because I celebrate it all equally you know I don't value one thing over the other well you really have to have a certain kind of faith 
right? Like a faith in even the principle of life that each being, if not damaged or traumatized to the place of being dissociated or so cut off from who they really are, is going to follow their own path of growth and the things that are best for them. And I always felt as a parent that that was my primary job is to create space, essentially give a wide berth, right? Like create space for my child to explore the things that they're good at and then facilitate that as much as I can, right? To encourage and support that as much as I can. And this trust that if I do that, he will naturally find the things that he's good at or that he loves or his place in the world. And it's again, another beautiful parallel with the process of birth itself. You either have that trust that the body knows that our millions, eons of years of, of DNA know what to do, or you don't. And you feel like an outside heavy hand must interfere in that process, which essentially is what the current model of public education is, is a very heavy outside hand applying a an arbitrary set of guidelines for everybody rather than looking at the individual and like i said this deeper theme in me that are in my mind of having faith faith in the process of life that if we can listen to that innate voice we will be guided they will be guided yeah uh so beautifully said i think that the time is coming right now where people are starting to value things that um, we maybe haven't valued before in our culture. I had a mom, a coaching call recently, and, and the mom said that she felt kind of insecure and like she wasn't doing enough when she'd see her, you know, her friends posting pictures of their kids in school, first day of school and um, a picture that they did, a graded, you know, workbook page that they did. And she said, I just feel like, you know, my child's doing what she wants all day, playing Play-Doh and doing different things, but I feel like I'm not doing enough. And that is a really, really common thing to feel. But what I love to do is to wake people up to realize that if those children in these pictures had freedom and, you know, their own desire and their own needs met, they more than likely wouldn't have even wanted to do <laughs> the things that the parents are like putting on in pictures and bragging about. They would want to be doing something that meant something to them with their time. And so it's, it's a really, social media is funny, isn't it? Because we can see people doing things and we're just like, oh, wow, that's nice. I should be doing that. I feel guilty. I'm not doing that. But if you were to really get down to the reality and the truth behind all of this, the children, most of the children in these scenarios would not want to be doing what they're being told to do and that they're punished if they don't do it. And here's the result of, you know, my child having no choice, you know, but to do that. And I said, I, what I'd love for it to encourage you to do is, you know, if, if you're feeling like you want to post something about your child, for example, post a picture of them curled up in a blanket on the couch, like you said she does, and saying, I love so much that my child has the freedom to do what they want with their time. And I love so much the relationship that we have, this connection. I love that my daughter can tell me anything. And I love that we have all this freedom and time together because it's when we reprioritize what parenting is and we reprioritize the needs of our child that's when real change happens and this mother's like i never thought of doing that i said yeah like what are your values it's it's nothing to do it's really important to move away from 
are the egoic, like these things that we do to, to show we're good mothers, you know, we're good fathers, you know, and, and I think that's our insecurity. And so people just kind of do these humble brags and stuff like that. And because they want people to think they're good parents. Well, when you take that out of the equation, you know, I believe you're a good parent when you respect your child as much as, you know, you respect yourself and that you honor their needs and how they want to spend their time. To me, that is what I would want to be, you know, known for as far as respecting. And a big um, thing that I want to share with everybody, I know we're coming to an end here, but this is a really big thought that I had a long time ago, and I've always kept it with me, that most people care more about what strangers think of them than what their own children think of them. You know, and so it's time to, you know, grow that strength, to surround yourself with people that have different values when it comes to parenting. Care more about what, what your kids think than what strangers think, and your life will change forever. Like it just will. Your relationship will be so strong. You'll be one of the greatest influences in your child's life when you have that connection and they're not afraid of you. They're not afraid you're going to take a freedom away. They're not afraid you're going to punish them. They're going to learn so much as a side effect of you honoring and supporting what they're doing and being involved, you know, being involved in their lives because rules and punishments are a replacement for being present with children. And when you're present with children, you don't need rules and um they don't punishments don't work anyway so yeah so it's more of a symbiotic relationship rather than a hierarchical relationship exactly yeah yeah so let's talk about if you've got people who are currently in the regular school system and for whatever reason they might be considering pulling out of it. So I've often, I think the, the term that I've heard before would be like de-schooling, right? To pull people out and then yes. help to migrate them into more of an unschooling existence, which is like a deprogramming or even like a detoxing in some way. So can you describe this process and what you would suggest for people who are interested in doing this? Sure. Yeah. There's, there's kind of like a rough guideline of de-schooling and I don't know who came up with it actually. And I don't know how accurate it really is, but it's just kind of like this guide um, that your, your child should, and you should de-school for a process of um, a month for every year that they've been in school or controlled. So what this means is allowing your children, don't feel like you have to do anything formal or anything, you know, structured at all, allow them to do whatever they want with their time for as long as they need to, to heal. So this is detoxing and, and it's deconditioning. This is healing, you know, because you can't see the damage. doesn't mean it's not there. I mean, and, and your audience knows this you know, so well because um, our kids are damaged in the system and to heal, they need freedom and they need to be respected and they need support and they need to be loved without judgment. So the first step of de-schooling is to allow your child <clears throat> just leave them alone and let them do what they want with their time to heal. Um, and that looks different for everybody. Um, and so for, as far as the parent goes, parents have a much harder time de-schooling because kids want to. They, they've been wanting this since birth, since they were toddlers. They, they don't want to be controlled. They finally can have that. But parents, the, the deconditioning and the brain, you know, brainwashing, oh, the undoing on, of all just of a that, second. the process of de-schooling for the parents, you know, it varies, but it's unbrainwashing yourself of seeing things in schooly terms, 
you know, and valuing these things that you've been brainwashed to think are the most important things in life. And that takes time. So go on vacation in, in your own home. I mean, everybody knows how to do this with a pandemic. You guys have probably de right. a good lot. practice. <laughs> well, Lots yeah, of good practice. Yeah, this is basically, that, that's what it is. And um, except you, you don't have to stay at home. You can go anywhere you want. But um, yeah, that's de-schooling. What would you say to parents who are busy with work and other commitments? And what about, you know, you know, school in a lot of ways has become a big daycare for people, right? Like we have full-time jobs, we're away during the day. It's a very convenient place to park your children. And so, and, and this was one of the reasons schools were actually invented was to put the kids of factory workers, right? That's what they were there for. So what would you say to those people who would be like, oh, there's no way I could possibly consider this type of lifestyle because I'm so busy. I have, you know, how could I do this? You know, I, I know every situation is different for every family, but there are so many people making it work. People are doing, you know, co-ops. They're taking turns, like being with each other's children, people of the, of the same mind, people that understand that children deserve respect and and, they, and they're happy to facilitate and, and, and share this. So like in Miami, for example, where I live, there's so many uh, families that are, that, are, that are starting to do this and sharing the care and the facilitation and the fun in a community. You know, I, I don't know, I know not everybody is super social, um, but being part of a community of people that respect children is really important. You know, and if you don't have one in your community, it's time to build one, it's time to have one, take that, yourself, you know, and, and do it and create it. And so uh, the other alternative too is something, so I, I lived in New Hampshire until this past year and New Hampshire on 43 acres of like farmland and the country, there wasn't a lot of other people doing this, but I did connect with some homeschooling teenagers who um, would come over and be a mother's helper, for example. So I could get work done or I could do different things. You just need to get creative, you know, and also, I think that reprioritization is so important. You know, do, do you need to be, could you do without a few things? You know, do you need two cars? Do you need this home or do you need the, what can you let go of so your child can have more of you and that you can have more of your child? I mean, you know, I, I can't even believe my son Devin is getting married. Like it, it was like a blink when I was holding, when I took him out of that bassinet and, and held him <laughs> and said, I'll never do that to you again. I'm not kidding. And oh my goodness, in the moment, everybody, everybody just says to me, you know, if you have him in your bed, you're never going to get him out. He's going to be in college climbing in your bed if you co-sleep. And oh, if you don't wean him at six months, he's going to be nursing his whole life. And like, it's all just such bullshit. You know, it just is. Be present with your children and enjoy it because it goes by so quick, so quick. I would do anything to, to be back in that space. So I think just letting go, learning how to be present, living in the now is extremely important. Children are told to prepare for the future, prepare for adulthood constantly in the traditional paradigm. Constantly. Childhood is about preparing for adulthood. And you know, like, you know, what if somebody took you and put you in a classroom all day, every day for the next, I don't know, 10 years so you could prepare for retirement? How fulfilling would your life be right now? You know, and so we wouldn't have to be doing all the self-help stuff all the time. You know, like I'm, I'm always pursuing like yoga and like, what's, what can I do now? I'm raw vegan and always trying to, always trying to get back to my center and living in the now. 
because I've been so damaged by fear of the future living my whole childhood. Our kids, they're not going to need it. They're just doing it, you know? So trust your children, allow yourself freedom. And in the same way that no harm is going to be done when you pick up a baby, whenever they need you, like we're told, no harm is going to be done, you know, to your children when love and connection is the, the priority. The other stuff, yeah, it just works out. I love all of that. And to me, it just keeps coming back to these themes of trust and trusting that we have innate instincts and trusting that we can follow them, right? Without having to seek outside guidance and rules and regulations and be reliant on ourselves. So wonderful. I mean, let's just wrap it up with a quote from uh, your book, Raising Rebels. We need to be rebels to raise rebels. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So continue learning yourself you know, as, a, as a parent and growing yourself and showing your kids that learning never ends. It doesn't end because you turn 18 and school is over. We're all meant to grow and learn and expand. It feels really good. So I think one of the best things you can do for your kids is show them that you're always expanding and learning and growing and modeling that for them. And they will never stop learning. Learning is like breathing. It feels good. They love it. What, what kids don't love is force and coercion, distrust, limits, control, punishments. That's where all the negative comes from. So if you're someone who needs help with that, I offer many different resources to help support you on this journey. I know it's not easy, um, but just know you're not alone. And if anything I've said really touches your heart and you feel it to be truth, um, connect with me. I'm so happy to chat. Can you elaborate a little bit more on what you offer? Because I know that you do, I believe, one-on-one -on -one sure. work as well as classes. So share with people what yeah. you can offer them to help them in these places. Yeah, well, if you go to my website, danamartin.com, you can see different programs that I offer. But I do like an unschooling support program. You know, a lot of local families are in that. I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. I have three books that I've written um, that you can check out about, you know, these topics. Um, let's see. I have tons of videos. I have a YouTube channel. My kids and I have a YouTube channel that we had with, partnered with Maker Disney. Isn't that crazy? Disney um, it was the first channel that uh, that Disney Maker, Maker Disney hosted that was about peaceful parenting and unschooling. So if you go see the Sparkling Martins on YouTube, you can see tons of videos just to kind of get a feel for what life is like in everyday life. I might actually expand a little bit on what you asked, like what's a typical day like? We kind right. of share with that okay. on the videos. But um, yeah, and I run conferences and I do a lot. So yeah, I just go to my, I'm also um, actually something else kind of new that I wanted to share really quick because you know, when I first started doing this as an advocate, I was like, I didn't know I'd end up traveling the world speaking about this. I've been to Australia, China, India. I mean, I, you name it. I've, I've gone and spoken about this in countries even where it's illegal. And um, I was the only one really speaking about this. I've done it on TV. We were on the Dr. Phil show, filmed by Oprah on Nightline, the show Wife Swap. So my life has been like this incredible whirlwind of, uh, you know, advocacy. And so many more people are coming to this life now in the last year with everything with this, you know, COVID. Hundreds, if not thousands of people contact me, like, or need help and support. So I started a program where I'm, if you're feeling a, a calling to this, you're somebody that already lives this way, and you want to start a career as an advocate, I can show you how. It's a 12-month mentoring program where you have me as your mentor for a full year. 
it's like weekly classes and, and educating you about how to how to how to help other people with all these different you know resources being a speaker traveling um being a parenting coach like all the different ways youtuber you know all the different ways in which you can help others and spread this message of rights and respect that children deserve in unschooling so that's also on my website but Fantastic. thank you so much for having me, Kim. My pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody. All right. So you can find Dana at danamartin.com, D-A-Y-N-A-M-A-R-T-I-N. She has a series of programs, including a radical unschooling group coaching, one-on-one coaching for parents. And as I mentioned, a couple of books, Raising Rebels and Radical Unschooling, and just tons of great resources on her site. So check it out. The Sexy Mama Salon is opening soon. This is my ultimate guide to all things holistic pregnancy and ecstatic birth, how to keep your sexy mojo on all the way through the entire process. When people have children, this is one of the ways or the times when they are most likely to divide. And my view is that it actually can bring you closer than ever and make your sex life better than ever. So every detail in this program is rigorously researched and I give you the most potent and avant-garde information available to have a healthy, blissful, life-changing experience. We cover everything from conscious conception to holistic and healthy fertility, blissful pregnancy, orgasmic birth, postpartum bliss rather than depression, and education choices as we've come into in this episode, and I go into more detail with it there. So check it out under kimanami.com. Look for Sexy Mama in My Sexual Savant Salons. And there's an amazing free video series I highly recommend that you check out, which is a preview to the salon. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, subscribe and also leave a review. And send someone else the gift of a healthy libido and an off-the-charts love life by sharing this episode with them. We'll be back next week. And in the meantime, many happy orgasms.